0: Let's
1: begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, April 18th, 2022. So glad you're here with us. Someone told me you texted me <laughs> that You're just too happy. Well, we get to talk to thousands upon thousands of mortgage professionals and people involved in the real estate finance industry in one way or another. And it is such an honor. And so, yeah, many of you, it is a happy day. It's Happy Monday. We're glad to be here with you and share this podcast, another really informative podcast with you. So, again, this podcast is created by us mortgage professionals, not necessarily by podcast veterans. Well, I guess we're a podcast veteran. We've gotten better at it, but we're mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're grateful to have you as our listener. We say that each and every week, but our commitment to you each week is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere and at any speed. You're the only podcast that talks so fast that I don't have to speed you up. You speak at 150 already. I know what that is. I was listening to a book over the weekend. Patrick Lencioni, you hear me refer to him all the time. And I listened to it. It's called The Motive. Great book. Everyone that's listening to this, you need to get the book from Patrick Lencioni. And if, if you've read it, go back and read it. It's such a great, great book. Anyway, I listened to it on Audible. And I listened to it at about 101.4 speed. And I get through the books a little bit faster. And my retention's better. So anyway, they say they did a study. That if you talk quickly, as long as you put a pause in there once in a while, that actually your retention rate goes up for those of us that speak faster. I don't know if it was a fast-talking speaker like myself that did have said that, but anyway, good to have you with us, everybody, and up on that. Today, on the Hot Topic segment, we've got Troy Anderson, Director of Mortgage and Lending Solutions at Finastra, and this is more than just a sponsor. They're doing some leading things with financial institutions and becoming more of a one-stop shop for mortgages, and he's going to explain why when we get into the Hot Topic segment. Okay, well, I don't use Finastra, I've got Ellie Mae, or I've got Black Knights and Power, all great systems, but isn't it interesting to hear what's going on? On in technology, we've got Alan Pollock, he just dialed in. I'm so excited to have Alan in the house. Uh, he'll be talking to us about what a report back from Las Vegas, where the tech conference took place. We'll get a report from him a little bit later on, but we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, we're proud to be a part of industrysyndicate.com. Check out all the podcasts there. I got a couple calls from PR firms recently, one of which is a leading PR firm in New York. And they said, we're regular listeners. We're not mortgage professionals, but we advise companies on where to best Advertise and where to get their message out on and look in your podcast, looking on lending and your regulars. He says, "Looking, you're funny, but you're boy, you got some great guests." I <laughs> go, "Okay, I'm going to take that." Anyway, we also have some great sponsors. I want to say thank you to the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. We're so grateful for our relationship with them. We say this each and every week. If you do not have the Mortgage Action Alliance app downloaded on your smartphone, do it. Have your voice heard in the hill. MBA is doing the best job they can to help with what's going on. And then also they sponsor some great conferences like the one they just did, the Tech Solutions Conference and Expo in Las Vegas. It was this past week. But to get a report on that. Also, Finastra, a mortgage-bought solution that manages store, retrieve, and deliver files in an electronic format in a completely paperless environment. And it's going to be what Troy Andrews is going to be talking about a little bit today. What are the trends there? You should pay attention to it. Even if you don't use Finastra, even though you're not looking at another solution, learn what the leaders are doing. They're all the number one FinTech company in the world. They didn't get there because they do stupid strategies. So pay attention to what Troy has to share. Also, Lenders One great to have them as a sponsor as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. These two co-ops are two great ways for you to connect in a more intimate setting with other lenders and vendors that are bring specific solutions. Again, they do not negate the importance of being a part of the MBA, but these two co-ops will really help you connect with others. We're members of both. Others are members of both. You should pick one or the other at least, but I encourage you to be members of both of these. Also, Total Expert, which is the only purpose-built CRM and customer engagement platform to create growth and loyalty for modern lenders and financial solutions also they have a great solution when it comes to recruiting everyone's calling a flick and i hear you got a great recruiting program i do have a really good recruiting program that works really really well and it needs to be powered by a really solid crm and so Total Expert is the one I recommend, not just because they're a sponsor, but it's really, really good. Go listen to the podcast we did on March 14th with Joe Wellu. Joe did a great job talking about his vision and where things are at. Also, Knowledge Group is a great way for you to connect with your community. They've launched their new product. We had a podcast on. We did a special episode on April 1st, and Ken Perry laid out that vision. Check it out when you go, go through our past podcast. as well as Mobility, MMI, the Mortgage Market Intelligence, as well as Modex, which is also a competitor. They're competitors, but I think they're really a great complement to each other. If you're recruiting and looking for intelligence about who you're recruiting... You need to use both of these apps, or at least one of them. You should have both of these in your pocket because each of them are complementary to each other and they do a great job at helping you identify who's gonna be the right fit for you in your organization. Also, we have a relationship with Snapdocs working backwards from the future where everything closing in a flawless experience, their aim is to completely eradicate errors from the real estate transactions. Did you hear that? Completely eradicate errors from real estate transactions? Check out the interview that we did with Brianna Ings on March 28th. She got into the vision. Pretty amazing. Also, we want to say thank you to Success Kit. They do a great job increasing your business through telling of your story through the stories of your customers. We're using them for that very purpose. Also, Lender Toolkit. Oh, my gosh. Brent Emler and Brett Grumley over there at Lender Toolkit do a great job with their technology, as well as Form Free. We appreciate them so much, as well as Simple Nexus. We had Lori Brewer on, and what's going on with Simple Nexus? Guys, you've got to pay attention to this company. It is one of the up and comingers. They bought LBAware. They're out there being very aggressive in the marketplace with a great vision. We're thrilled to have them as a sponsor, as well as DW consulting. Debbie Weems and her team tell you how to set up your LinkedIn profile. To go on and on, we have so many sponsors and we're so grateful for all of them. So a special thank you goes out to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack, my co-hosts, for this podcast. Welcome to the Lickin' on Lending Hot Topics segment. It is a beautiful April 18th and we're live here in Austin, Texas. Very excited to have Troy Anderson, Director of Mortgage and Lending Solutions Sales, at Finastra, one of our sponsors. He's going to be discussing here what's going on with financial institutions. Are they becoming more of a one-stop shop? Yes, they are. But why? We're going to get into those talking points. Troy, good to have you here. So glad to have you be a part
2: of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to join you.
1: I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So talk a little bit about your career path, how it brought you to this point, and so our listeners can get to know you a bit.
2: Well, it's a, it's a circuitous route for sure to where I've ended up. And I feel truly blessed with the opportunities that I've had throughout my career, in particular, starting uh, with commercial lending. So out of college, I joined Bank One, which for those of you that are younger, you probably never heard of that bank, but it was a good-sized regional mm-hmm. bank that ultimately is part of Chase now and great uh, credit training and other things. And so I did that for about nine years. And the risk taker in me and the entrepreneur in me, Ended up going to work for a startup at the time. It was actually more of a consumer-oriented L.O.S. And we had two small babies at the time. My wife let me do it. She went back to work on the weekends, and I took a over fifty percent pay cut. And wow. ever since then, I've, I've been in fintech, and so it was a great move. We ended up, you know, being able to sell that particular company and do pretty well with that. And then moved around throughout different fintechs, focusing on commercial, mortgage, and consumer. And part of that was great with my banking background and commercial lending. There are some cases where you have small clients, uh, small meaning a couple million dollars or less in total commitment and loans. And you may have a dad that runs a business and you got to do a car loan for his kid. And you better Mm -hmm. make sure you do it, but you still have to document it correctly. And same thing for mortgages. I had to do a couple of mortgages, getting some of the private banker people to assist me with that back in the day. And that's been a while and things have changed a lot (laughs) since those days with the mortgage space, not just from technology, but the oversight and other things. So throughout my career, the the beginning, many of you guys have gone through banking school. It used to be the three C's of credit back in the yeah. olden times, as I now yeah. refer to it. But now it's the five C's of credit, and it really applies primarily to all loan type of activities. And I've used those to guide me you know, through my career, even just selling technology for the last 20 plus years and not being a direct lender. But I will well, say I don't miss the direct lending piece because it took yeah. a lot of writing, especially in commercial lending, <laughs> and I don't have to yeah. take things to committee or other things. So
1: it's so true. One of the things I'm most interested in from Finastra's perspective is you guys have a large large install base of financial institutions. It's kind of where you're influenced. And I think Mm -hmm. there's some things that the financial institutions that are doing that are kind of interesting. They're focusing more and more on being a one-stop shop for mortgages. Mm -hmm. And I want to your insights as to why that
2: is. There's a couple different things. And being with a variety of different sizes of FinTechs and understanding the support and implementation of other things. And as far as an end-to-end solution, you may not be aware, David, at this point, we can literally run a a bank from beginning to end. And as far as all of our technology components, whether it's the customer experience when they're not even a customer yet, all the way through managing that through the core process with our Phoenix solution. And then there's other companies that do that too, but we feel obviously like we do it very well. But as far as the LOS goes, we do have multiple LOSs. In this case, we're focusing on our mortgage bots, which is an end-to-end solution. And this is really my thoughts around the end-to-end piece as it stands with working for componentized platforms in the past, where you had multiple integrations that fingers could be pointed and other things. So as far as the five things to consider, as far as the end-to-end option goes, the real value, and I'm going to say value quite a few times throughout this because feature functions, most of them, ultimately result in some type of value. Some of them don't. Some of them might just be widgets that may demo well, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is great, but it really doesn't provide that much value. And I've seen that when I've been doing demonstrations. I'm like, I wouldn't really focus on that too much. It might be cool, but it doesn't add as much value as some of these other things. So the end-to-end process, the value there is basically one vendor, one support path and what that amounts to is efficiency results the percentages will vary but i've had clients in the past who we were not the problem the vendor i was working for but you get vendors that start pointing fingers it, it makes it difficult to work we've got with mortgage bot the end-to-end pieces basically the POS. We have a standalone POS that goes into the LOS, fully integrated. It's no third-party type integration because we're all one company. So the customer experience is out there for them, as well as being able to ultimately push it into that LOS. So having one vendor to visit with, having one common platform to work on internally from an admin perspective is really, really important. Again, that goes from my 20 years of experience, not just the time that I've been at Finastra. If I wasn't doing vendor selection, I would be highly focused on that because of the the things that I've seen that can go wrong and and cause some pretty uh, strong tension in some cases. The other part, besides being an end-to-end solution, we, as a couple other companies do have, we have a very large marketplace in FusionFabric.cloud. And the marketplace is like you're going to the Apple store. So you can see value-add vendors that basically plug in, if you will, into our POS or LOS that are providing value in a number of different ways. We're talking about AVM services, pricing services, allowing for a a bespoke type product that ultimately you can end up with. And it allows the client on their own, in some cases, to add those components that are unique to their needs. So for those of you guys that have bought software before, sometimes you buy things and 20% of it, you know you're never gonna use, but yet you're still kind of paying for it. (laughs) So in this case, this is a situation where you could say, okay, yeah, this product has this, but they don't have these other couple things. Oh, but wait, they pointed out that they have this in their marketplace and there are open APIs for our platforms. And typically one of the requirements, depending on the level of vendor of who it is, they need to have the open APIs as well so they can be basically plugged in and unplugged when necessary very easily. And the value around all that is a more, it's a better, faster, and bespoke process, really providing the customer with exactly what it is that they need, which should result in more low revenue and less FTE expense, quite frankly, because they can automate some of those things from the APIs that we have available in FusionFabric.Cloud. Just as a point here, some people have asked around these marketplaces, well, aren't you allowing competitors into your space? Well, it's about coopetition, right? You're cooperating with your competitors.
1: I think that's a good point. I think that's what Alan was talking about in Las Vegas. There's a lot more of that interest because it's really important. So I understand.
2: Yeah, it's super important. Everyone makes sure to protect what it is they need to protect on either side. But then at the same time, they also realize, that it really helps the client win, ultimately, to yeah. have them be able to have that experience and it makes for a less frictionless vendor search, quite frankly, for the client.
1: Alice, did you have any questions around the second point that he made? Did you have anything as you were listening to it, financial institutions?
2: I
0: was listening to the, the API connectivity. I know it's always an important piece, but I love the term coopetition. I've lived that in the past. So I think my question is, just, is there anything else that go to market and those value-added services that you're referencing that really help make this effective in the
2: future? In the future, I think it's going to be as effective as it is for our phones, right? So one of my phone, whatever, if and when you change employers through your phone, Get your 401k from your previous client, roll it over. You can add the new payroll system that you're using at your new employer. You can do all these different things personally that ultimately are relating to more your professional life. But as I said, you know, I, I think it's a more bespoke solution. 10, 12 years ago, here's your system. You want us to interface with this thing, it's going to be a custom project. It's going to be five figures and customization, and then you'll have it in six to nine months versus, hey, you can have this in a week or two weeks for something that it is that's specific to you. So we are proactive at Sinatra with working with what we view to be value-add that some of the market may not be aware of. So we actually go out and try to proactively say, hey, these guys, you know, we don't own them or anything else. We're just partnering with them because we feel like we can add value to their solution and they're adding value to ours, which ultimately is passed on to the client. So I think the model works really, really well. It's probably going to reduce the number of acquisitions and things, I would think, for some, depending on if you're just a kind of a niche player uh, as far as the marketplace goes. But if you're a, a niche player, then the other people at marketplaces are going to be chasing them as well. I don't Good know point. if that answered your question or not.
0: Yeah, it did. It added some great color. Thank you.
1: Uh, Let's get over to Alan on the key point number three that you want to bring up. has to do with configurability, Alan. Yeah, I mean,
0: one, great to talk with you. As we build technology and we offer technology, configurability seems to be the biggest thing. You know, from your perspective, dealing with financial institutions and everyone's going after the same thing but doing it their own secret sauce way, what is configurability and the importance for you and and your customers?
2: So configurability, I've been an entrepreneur a few times over, just like I think the rest of you guys are. And so, when I built out an LOS uh, a few years ago, it was critical to me to have a medium level user being able to do admin functions, because it's really more about admin functions versus the end user. The end user needs, needs to be great, right? But from an admin perspective and to be able to keep up with changes, there needs to be ways to handle integrations for different types of basic type things internally. But more important is is when credit policies change or anything that can change on a regular basis or as new regulations appear, how quickly can we do that? Do we have to wait on our vendor to do it or do we have to have an internal basically IT person or developer that's there to manage that process, which that's great, but you're adding more cost to the cost of your system whenever it does take those developer type people to be a system admin, reducing their profitability For sure. And so what we really focus on is as much as we can, make sure that anything and everything can be configured through check boxes, tables, and other things versus actual code that's going in to to
3: modify the solution. Good point. Jack, when it comes to a little bit about robust decisioning. Troy, at the top of the podcast, as you were discussing your previous work history, you talked about what I think, being a financial institution guy, you know, is a very manual process, and that's the preparation for credit committee, matriculating through credit committee. But David just talked about robust decisioning. How are manual decisions impacting revenue for financial institutions, and how did your solution help?
2: Well, it'll help in a, in a number of different ways, from a who's interested in, in buying this loan, ultimately, at the very beginning along with the the various rates and closing costs being in there. But robust decisioning has been my experiences that I've had in LOSs over the years is if they're not doing any auto decisioning today, you take baby steps, maybe the top 10 and bottom 10 percent, You know, look at everything else in the 80 percent. But as you're doing that documenting, why are we not auto approving or why are we not auto decisioning this? Those within that 80 percent band that you start with. And then ultimately, a goal of being at 20 top, 20 bottom, and then another 60, and then ultimately flipping that to where you're getting 30, 30, and then 40 in the middle. And what I've actually seen, a funny story is, this has been quite some time ago, but I had sold to a relatively large bank, a consumer LOS, and they swore up and down with 15 people in their bank saying, we will never do auto decisioning three years later, they were auto-decisioning 60% of their loans. <laughs> so yeah. never say never is where I'm going with this because ultimately what that does is it's really less about saving money on that time. But if in a manual decision, especially in the mortgage space, I mean, a manual decision can take a lot longer, right? Mm-hmm. Much more than a car loan I mean, being manually decision. From what I've seen, it, it's been not necessarily a, a study, but you can have some healthy credit risk that ultimately are getting manually underwritten. And by that point, they may get tired of it and say, forget it. I'm moving on. I'm going to someone else. And they get a response 24, 36, 48 hours. And that's great because that's going to help you get that deal. But the other thing is compliance, 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 three times over for auto decision. Auto decisioning is the ultimate inconsistency. And it eliminates concerns and preparation for exams. And in the case of buybacks, it should eliminate those for the type of buyback scenarios that would be affected by that credit decision. So to me, it's basically, it's not AI at all. The the lender is usually setting those types of things up on their own. But it's the ultimate inconsistency. And I've talked to so many lenders, just like you guys probably have in my 20-plus years in FinTech, And that's one of the main things I hear, why they're looking for a platform or why they're looking to change platforms. It's like, we've got to be consistent. And then along with that, you also have to have robust reporting. So you need to be able to generate those reports that prove to the examiners, whichever governing body it is, that we've talked about what we're doing and how we change these things. But ultimately, here's your proof. And that reporting needs to be generally very easy and configurable as well. By a business person.
3: Yeah, I think auto decisioning, Troy, another pickup is over on the fair lending side as well. I mean, humans, you know, can look at the same set of data and and make different decisions. Whereas in an auto decisioning environment, I think you get more consistency with regards Mm -hmm. to the decisions. And we all know that translates into a risk mitigate for fair lending as well.
1: Alan had texted me with a question that he had for you on this point that you were making just a moment ago. As I'm listening to what you're
0: saying, right, Finastra is a big company and you do so much. And I was in your space for a little bit, working with financial institutions and helping them bridge the gap. So what's your edge? What do you just think that right now you are the target for a lot of financial institutions and why they really should be considering to work with you. That's been kind of in my mind, and I'm sure some of our
2: listeners probably are thinking the same. I, I will <laughs> say for people that are looking, it, it is a known platform, right? We have tremendous support. We've got different support options, but more importantly is we have got uh, a thousand plus primarily financial institutions, not necessarily on the mortgage side, we haven't been as focused on them, which we are moving our focus towards that actually right now, since I, I've only been on, on board with Finestra for about nine months. And that's one of my initiatives is to get more so into the uh, the actual mortgage lender space and mortgage brokers, which we are actually making some headway there. But today, the, the fact that we've got roughly 1,200 or so traditional FIs utilizing the platform, both from a POS as well right. as a LOS space. We're very well grounded in that space. We understand it very well. We also understand that the mortgage space, the, the company prior to me, hadn't been too focused on the the mortgage lenders and mortgage brokers. But we're finding with our POS, we're finding significant interest for the brokers that are out there. They're Mm -hmm. very interested in it, super easy to use. Also the fact, the connectivity, I mean, I've mentioned our POS. We partner with other POSs, so they don't have to use our POS, but they've got another one that's out there that's standalone. We do have integrations, back and forth integrations with them. So we are very flexible and I, I think there are other marketplaces. You guys know that, that are on this call that other vendors have those, but I think ours is is very strong and we can add to our marketplace yeah. very easily and quickly to satisfy those clients yeah. that need something.
1: We got one question I do want to ask, you. that is one of the key points that you had raised, especially with your unique position in the marketplace of the number one fintech company in the world. And I stress that. So what do you see as the next big thing in the lending arena as just as a whole?
2: I can answer that very quickly. It's HELOCs. <laughs> so I see is- articles about HELOCs right now, <laughs> and for a variety of reasons. Number one, a lot of the big players have gotten out of it, or they've positioned themselves out of it by still charging thousands of dollars in closing costs when you can go get one for no cost. And there's pent-up equity. You guys were talking about these 5% rates, right? And I'm like, I'll get a HELOC and just, yeah, it's all about HELOCs. So there's some aggressive lenders out there. That we're talking to today, they say, hey, from the time they approve till the time they uh, close, number one, it all needs to be mobile, 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 a single point of contact from a yep. technology perspective. And we need to be able to close them in as quickly as five days. Slam dunks. So that's where I see it
3: going right now. Yeah.
1: Jack, as you listen to this, any parting comments or final comments as we wrap up this?
3: I think one of the most important statements that got made during the course of this hour long podcast. is is that technology needs to be viewed in the framework of return on investment. And Mm -hmm. I think Troy talked about that through automation. You got to look at those tasks that you have to complete to finish a loan. And you've got to look at the time and the cost from a labor standpoint to complete those tasks. And if automation can reduce the amount of valuable and costly work effort then you've got a good roi by implementing that technology and i think a lot of what troy talked about along the lines of automating the decisioning process will drive a lot of cost savings that lenders are going to need over the next couple of years david
1: yeah that's so true and i think no one understood that more than when you were building at uh, texas capital bank back in your fully employed days, was the correspondent division. I had the privilege of working with you. And you've always had such a vision for that, Jack. So it's good stuff. Alan, last thoughts? No, I think if I was a financial institution
0: and I had online banking of those things with Finastra, I would be considering pulling everything together. So Troy, echoing really everything you've said, I think you guys are on their way to some greatness and your clients are just going to continue to see the, the benefit of that.
1: I'm also excited to see what you can do inside of the mortgage space now that you're helping the company focus more on the IMBs in the marketplace. So we're thrilled to have had you here. Thank you so much, Troy, for being here. Appreciate the financial sponsorship of the podcast and your comments today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Oh,
2: yeah. Thank you, guys. Nice to meet you. You
1: you bet. Appreciate it. Well, next week, we're going to continue down the theme of that. The company that Alan used to work for is Fiserv. We're going to have Christopher Brown come on and uh, share some of the thoughts. We're kind of looking at the financial institutions, especially when you look at where the market's heading, the bigger role that the financial institutions are going to be playing, especially with the HELOCs, as Troy was just talking about. So we're going to have Christopher Brown on, talk a little bit about from the perspective of Fiserv, Alan's old turf. Alan, so... Excited to have them on. Let's get over and say a big thank you as we exit out to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, Doc Success Kit, Lender Toolkit, Total Expert, Form Free, Simple Nexus. You can check out all of our sponsors on the Lincoln Lending website. So good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week with Alan's update on technology, his continued update. Can't wait for that, Alan. It's going to be fun. Appreciate you, everyone. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week. and Thanks for listening.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)